everyone, and welcome to the SOCON Report podcast. I'm Amanda Banks, Vice President of Education at Family Policy Alliance, and I am so thrilled to have with us today Katie Faust from Them Before Us. She's going to tell us about her new book, and um, I think this is going to be a conversation that you won't want to miss. So, Katie, without further ado, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Um, as you come on screen, I'm just gonna tell our audience a little bit more about you, a brief introduction. If you don't already know Katie, she is founder and president of Them Before Us, which is a global children's rights nonprofit. They defend a child's right to know and to be parented by their mother and their father. Um, Katie herself is a mom on a mission, and she is on a mission against the overreach of progressives, especially when it comes to our nation's children. And as I said before, she has a new book that we're gonna talk about today. Um, and I'm I'm so excited to get there, Katie, but I think before we do, I just wanna give you a moment to tell our audience a bit more about Them Before Us, how the organization came to be and the work that you're doing there now. Yeah, thank you. It's a joy to be with you. I very much appreciate the Family Policy Alliance. I think you guys are a, a critical aspect of family defense, uh, child defense, religious defense. Um, I'm connected to a lot of conservative organizations, and you guys really are the tip of the spear when it comes to fighting against a lot of the um, damaging ideas and policies that are coming at our children. So it's a joy to be with you. Thank you for your work. Uh, then Before Us is um, specifically created to defend children's rights in the family. Thank God we've got hundreds of organizations defending children's right to life, uh, and every we need every single one of those organizations. We're the only people defending children's rights on this side of the womb as it relates to their primary relationships. And when you defend children's rights to their mother and father, you get every marriage and question family correct. So the definition of marriage, when we should permit divorce, what kind of attitude should we have towards reproductive technologies? How do we respond to the rise of modern families? What about the emerging, uh, you know, the explosion of people being involved in cohabiting relationships versus marriage? What about the increased push for things like polygamy and consensual non-monogamy? If it has to do with marriage and family, we center that conversation on the child. Um, and it's, it's, it's working. You know, We have a lot more influence than we deserve, I think, because we have really simplified this for people. We're not looking at you know, parenthood laws and birth certificates and divorce and definition of marriage and surrogacy. You know, they're not disconnected questions. They're all the same question. And it is, are you respecting or are you disregarding the rights of children? So mm -hmm. that's what Them Before Us is all about, defending children's rights to their mother and father, which allows us to have clarity and courage on any topic that intersects with marriage and family. Mm, wonderful. Uh, obviously, it's such needed work, Katie. And I know as a parent myself, there's so many like me, um, I'd say millions that are hungry for help in this area, um, not just in, in defending the rights of children, but that that crucial relationship between child and parent. Mm -hmm. and, and your book is, of course, right up this alley. So the, the title of it is Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Um, love that title. It's very enticing. Um, I can relate to, to this scenario very much as a mom of three children who are in public school in a woke city. Um, so tell us what prompted you to write this book? Uh, where did it come from? Kind of what what told you I've, I've got to do this. It's I, it, it needs to be done. And the author is going to be me. Yeah. Well, um, I travel all over for my work um, internationally, all across the United States. Um, and I'm very zealous about 
conserving the very best ideas when it comes to biological, economic, and historical realities. Um, I've got a very close relationship with my kids. My husband is transitioning from being a full-time pastor to being a full-time chaplain. So I'm like, we are heavy into like church and religious life. And anytime I'm doing an interview anywhere, uh, and I tell people that I'm raising my teenagers in Seattle, largely in public schools, they almost fall over and say, how on earth could you be doing that? Um, and the answer is actually great. My kids are great. And when you're very serious about training your kids, you can actually create children who influence the culture rather than being influenced by the culture. I co-authored it with Stacy Manning, um, who is also raising her three children in this woke city. And between us, we've got seven kids between, let's see, elementary school to college age. And you know what? They're great. They're not only securely anchored in a Christian worldview, they're also able to articulate what they believe. They can push back against aggressive adults. They can convert other kids to sanity and to health on all of these different controversial topics. And you know what else? They're happy and they're mm. accepted and they're joyful. So really it's just a manifesto that takes a lot of tried and true parenting principles and applies them to our current insane cultural moment. Um, does it in ways that explain kind of that balance between exposure and sheltering that all of us wrestle with and then break up what topics do you need to talk about with your kids at what stages and in what ways? So it's really just kind of this parenting manual on what does it look like to inculcate your worldview in your kids when everything else is against you? Hmm. Well, it sounds wonderful. And um, I, you said some tried and true, I think you said parenting um, uh, tips or something to that degree. I would love to hear just a preview, Katie, of maybe a couple of those, maybe some highlights of the book to whet our appetite a bit more for reading it. Yeah. Well, first of all, we talk about how you need to break up these phases of learning between elementary school, middle school, and high school. And the reason why we break it up that way is because that's how classical educators do it, right? That trivia model that a lot of you guys are familiar with. It sort of aligns with the basic developmental stages that children go through when it comes to learning and the different styles of learning. And so we do that. We say, Here, here's what you need to be doing in elementary school. The main job in elementary school is saturating them in truth and beauty. In that phase, you do want to filter out the distortions of the woke ideology from kids. Here's what you need to be teaching them. Here's the good, true, and beautiful, and the focus areas that you need to be really stuffing into them with all your might in elementary school. Middle school is the time when a lot of parents, I think, stumble and get it wrong. It's pretty easy for us to shelter our kids and filter out the bad ideas and saturate them in beautiful and true things. Middle school is the time when you have to introduce the distortions to your kids. And a lot of people think, oh, that's too soon. I'll wait till high school. And you have waited too long. It is middle school. It is sixth grade when you need to start making your kid an expert on all the different things that the world is going to lie to them about. And then you spend those couple of years in middle school really letting them watch you battle against this, watch you learn about it. They help you do it. And then you start helping them. And by the time they get to the high school years, they're largely doing it on your own and you get to watch them. High school, we think in our mind, high school is the time when we go strong and we equip them. No. By the time your kids are in high school, your job is to stay emotionally connected to them. You've done most of the worldview training at that point, and then you move into the role of consultant, where you consult with them about how to stand firm in their convictions when they're completing that assignment or dealing with that friend or the controversy on Instagram or whatever it is. 
You just have to double down on emotional connectedness so that they stay close to you as they work out their convictions while they're still under your roof. Hmm. That's a beautiful model, Katie. Um, my, my children are uh, two in middle school and one, the third will be in middle school next year. And then the, the oldest is going to high school. So you are uh, speaking my language <laughs> and, and I appreciate the advice. Um, I know our listeners no doubt appreciate as well. Um, there's a couple uh, phrases in your book that I wanted to ask you about. What is the no flinch rule? Can you tell me what that is? This is very, very important. The no flinch rule is the principle that um, your kids are going to come to you, especially, you know, anytime any parent has had to go through this in any era of parenting, but certainly in this cultural moment, it's going to happen to you. And certainly if your kids are in public school or in a liberal environment, you are going to have to keep your game face. They're going to say things to you that shock you, outrage you, anger you. They're going to come to you with things like, hey, why is there a boy running against me in, you know, the track meet in the girls event, right? Or Oh, my teacher said that boys can wear dresses, right? Your kids are going to come to you with things that make you so angry and outrageous. And in your mind, you think, what the is this culture doing? But your face says, oh, thanks for telling me. Oh, where did you hear that? Oh, tell me what you, what do you think about that? Oh, that's interesting. So one of the problems right now is the culture is messaging to your kid that you, the parent, are the enemy. There's lots and lots of barriers between communicating with you and your child and your child with you. The internet is getting in between you guys. Certainly curriculums and schools are sometimes wedging themselves between the parents and the child. So what you need to do is make sure there are no other barriers of communication between you and your kid. And if your child perceives that if they come to you with something that is sensitive, challenging, embarrassing, something they're unsure of, something that makes them nervous, if they think, I have to wade through mom's big emotional rant before I get the answer that I need or the connection that I want or the resources that I'm hungry for. They won't come to you. They'll go to the internet. They'll go to their friends. They'll ask their sex ed teacher instead. And so the no flinch rule is very, very important to making sure that your child loves to come to you with information that they might be unsure about. It might even be incriminating information. But the goal of the no flinch rule is to reinforce the idea that when kids talk to you, the mom or the dad, about something that worries them, something that concerns them, they associate talking with you with relief. And so mm. the no flinch rule is a critical part of that. Mm. I, I think I can remember that, Katie. They, you want to, them to associate coming to you with relief. Mm. That's, that's really, that's key and, and it's powerful. Um, okay, another one is the slow handoff. So mm -hmm. tell me about that and why it matters so much. This is actually an old school discipleship model. I, I saw this somewhere on the internet years and years ago, and I could never find the original source because so many churches have used it. But it's basically like, how do you replicate yourself? What does that look like? If you really, if you are somebody who is firmly grounded in Christian and conservative convictions, if you know how to stand firm against the world and learn and go find information that you don't have anymore, in essence, what you want to do is you want to replicate yourself and your child. So how do you do that? Well, it's the slow handoff model. And it goes, I do, you watch. I do, you help. You do, I help. You do, I watch. Hmm. So what is it that you want them to do? What do you want to replicate in them? Well, in this case, we want them to be able to stand firmly in their convictions and speak about it with grace. And so they have to watch you, right? You're going to do that. They need to watch you. They need to watch you 
reading great books, listening to great podcasts, having conversations that are dignified and civilized where you do not bend one inch on your convictions. They need to watch you do that for years and years and years. That's the bulk of what's gonna be happening during elementary school. But then in middle school, you're gonna say, I'm gonna keep doing it, but you're gonna help me. So for me, a lot of this was, I dictate a lot of my work or I dictate my tweets. And then I would just hand it to my kids and be like, hey, proofread this for me. Did I get all of it right? Help me send this tweet. Or I'd be having a Facebook conversation with somebody arguing about you know, the role of government in the lives of kids and should they be deciding curriculum or should parents? And I'd say, okay, I'm in this conversation with a Facebook friend. So here's what they said, here's what I wrote. What would you change and what would you add, right? Let them help you do it. You are defending your worldview. You're standing firm on your convictions. They have watched you do that for years. And then let them help you do that. And then mm -hmm. something's going to happen. If you're doing a lot of, if they're watching, if they're helping, around the time they're sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they're going to want to do it. They're going to come home from school when their teacher said, hey, I want you to write a more equitable constitution. They're going to come home, slam their books on the table and say, I can't believe they think that there could be a better constitution than the one that our founding fathers wrote. I'm so angry. I'm going to do something about it. They're going to do, but you need to help. They're not at the point where they can do it on their own. So you're going to spend a lot of your middle school years. They're going to be doing it, but you're going to be helping. Hey, what kind of help do you need on that assignment? Oh, let's research this together. Hey, let's see what, you know, let's look at manifest destiny and find the best sources for your school project or whatever it is. And then in high school, right, after they've had two or three years of doing with you helping, suddenly you're going to hear that they have been on Instagram defending some kids' right to life, a dozen kids, 100 kids, 1,000 kids' right to life because some law just passed because Alabama just decided that unimplanted embryos actually are human children. And they're arguing about it and they're losing real life friendships over the lives of children they're never going to meet. And you didn't find out about it until two days later because they're doing, and all you have to do is sit back and watch. Mm. But don't think that you're gonna get to the point where your kids are gonna leave your home and go to college, and you just, you are the expert, you're the one that has all the convictions, and they're just gonna walk away from college and do that? No. If you want to confidently watch them go out into the world with no concerns about how they're going to defend their religious convictions or their worldview convictions, that is a slow handoff that takes years and years and years to develop and that you as the parent can be very intentional about pulling them into. And if you do that, I mean, if this is this happens between the ages of two and 18, you've got 16 years to start handing this worldview off, then they can go anywhere to college. And you can sit back confidently and say, there's really nothing the world's gonna throw at them that they have not already faced under the roof of my house that I've been able to help them with. Wow, Katie, um, I feel like I'm in a parenting therapy class. Um, your your tips and advice are so welcomed and appreciated. Um, I'm really just soaking this up. Um, I do want to get in a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up for today. Um, you've been talking, you know, quite a bit about school um, and what we're up against, uh, particularly in the public school with um, progressive, you know, indoctrination in many ways. So tell me, you've you mentioned that your children are in public school or to large degree they are. Can you just offer some encouragement for parents of children in public school? Um, I, I don't want them to feel as if um, th there's something they, you know, barriers that they can't get over or challenges that they can't overcome. 
Well, and you know, a lot of people think that we are insane to have our kids in public school. And the truth is that there's sometimes you can choose it and sometimes you can't. I mean, I, I've got friends that are homeschooling their kids. Those kids are doing great. And I've got friends, kids are in private school and those kids are also doing great. Um, 90% of parents are sending their kids at public school for whatever reason. And I think a lot of them are unhappy with some of what's taking place in public school. Um, and so we're not here to say there's one model of schooling that you need to do. We're here to say, no matter where you send your kids, you are the primary educator. You are the one that can train them to do that. And, you know, Stacy, people will ask Stacy, why don't you homeschool? And she's like, I do. I do. We school our children all the time. We outsource some of it to the public schools. And I think that that's exactly right. So for Stacy and I, in those elementary school years, because the principle is to filter out distortions, mm -hmm. if there is a high school, I'm sorry, if there is an elementary school teacher who is seeking to evangelize and disciple your child into a woke worldview, into their woke religion, you need to take action. I mean, that to us looks like either saying, hi, you know, you might have strong convictions about defunding the police. I would like you to not talk to my child about that. Or, oh, you're going to have the Black Lives Matter curriculum all next week. I'd like to exempt my child out of that because I've looked at that and I don't think the abolition of the family is something that should be taught to any student, but you're not going to teach it to mine. And so there have been times with specific subjects, with specific curriculums, where we have been able to go to our elementary school teachers and say, we disagree with this. We'd like to opt our child out. Or times where the teacher has said, you know what, maybe we don't need to do that. And so if you don't get that level of responsiveness for elementary school, you need to pull your kid. You cannot have them sitting under somebody who is specifically trying to evangelize and disciple them into a woke religion. Later on in middle school and high school, we just accept that that's going to be the norm, but that's actually at the age where your child has the capacity to critically think through and parse out lies and bad ideas. And so in that sense, I will say that this crazy Seattle culture, including the public schools, serves as somewhat of a foil for the Christian worldview because the absurdity, the devastation, the danger, and the destruction in the ideas is so self-evident mm but it actually reinforces the goodness of the Christian worldview and conservative principles. So you do have to be careful, I think, with your kids, no matter what, but certainly in a woke school and certainly in a public school, um, I talk about how there's friction. There you're gonna constantly be rubbing up against a culture that in is runs opposite of and sometimes hostile to what you're trying to teach your kids. So you have to watch. Is that friction grinding them down to a nub where they can't even stand? Or is it sharpening them? Mm. And we have found that if we arm our children with good information and we tell our kids, especially once they get to middle school, we expect you to know more about these subjects than all your friends. When you walk into a room and the conversation is abortion or transgenderism or the free market or US history, we expect you to know more than everyone else. Mm. Kids walk into a, a conversation or an environment where they are armed for the fight and we find that the friction has the result of sharpening them. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that, Katie. Um, the book, again, is Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. And um, I hope that you all will consider um, getting this book for yourself. I imagine that what Katie said today has appealed to you in a way that it has to me. Um, Katie, how can they find your book? Well, it's everywhere. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, okay. all the places. Um, and I just would really encourage you to, no matter what age your kids are, start building into them 
I actually am filled with quite a bit of hope um, for America, for our country right now, because um, we conservatives, um, we're having two to 12 children. And uh, if we can just inculcate our values in our children, the world is going to look very different in a couple decades. Mm -hmm. My progressive friends are having zero to two children. Right. And so if we simply could train the children that we are creating, this this country is going to look very, very different. Mm -hmm. And I think that the last couple of years have served as a massive wake up call for parents all across the country going, wait a second, I can't trust the schools for this. I can't trust the internet for this. I can't trust any level of any kind of streaming platform to reinforce what I'm teaching. I guess it's me. I guess I am the one that has to do this. And the good news is you are enough and you are exactly the right person for the job. Mm. Thank you, Katie. I appreciate that, um, that high note to end on and word of encouragement to all the parents out there. Thanks for being with us, Katie. Look forward to the next time. Yep, thanks for having me. Brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.